This week on Our Thing. They realize that if they release this virus, they can cripple the democracies and set the stage for this transformation. Novelist Deborah Sawyer's latest offering will challenge your perspective on the COVID-19 outbreak. Because my knowing is that the self exists and I am that self. I am not my self because I can own the self I am. And Selfology founder Daryl Douglas Moat will challenge your perspective on just about everything else. Stay tuned for the most entertaining hour in radio. This is our thing with everyone's favorite ex-gangster. What's up? Welcome back to another episode of Our Thing. Now you've got a couple of great guests. And Bill said to me, you know what? Both of these guests required quite a bit of research, and it made me think. The one guest, author, has got a really fascinating book about COVID. And one of those things in the past, me and Bill got banned for even talking about it on YouTube. And she did a ton of research, very in-depth research about the origins of COVID-19, how it was released, what, why, when. But she wrote a fiction novel based on this premise, right? Yeah, exactly. So it's all built around a fiction novel, which I thought was pretty cool. I'm not going to be able to hang around for this interview, but I'll be back in time for the second. I'm sorry I'm missing this first one. Yeah, that sucks. But, you know, I can handle this one. And when you get back, well, we got another really interesting uh, guy, I guess, um, a remarkable character, that's for sure. So when I was in prison, you know, I started writing books. I didn't have much in terms of research materials. Not like these author guests have Google and the internet and stuff like that. They get this this unlimited research materials today with Google and the internet. I had only the library in the prisons, because I was in prison, and there was encyclopedias there. So I would go to the library, and this is how I researched for my book. This is a crazy story, believe it or not. So my first book I wrote, Second chance. I didn't even have a dictionary, man. I didn't have a dictionary, no research, no nothing. And I still have the original manuscript. It's upstairs right now. Second book was A Rat's Tale. I wrote the entire books. You know, I think I did read a couple of Vietnam books that I found in the library there. But before I went to prison, I read like, I'm not joking, like 40 Vietnam books, uh, autobiographies and stuff. So my mind was pretty much saturated with information already. So this is what gets really crazy is I write the entire book. And the way I would write these books by hand is I'd write the entire book. And, and then what I would do is go back and rewrite the whole thing from start to finish, like, you know, kind of that was my form of editing. But after I wrote the whole book, which took six or seven months to do, which is crazy, six or seven months working full time, we're talking 12 hours a day on my bunk in level four, maximum security prison where you're locked up 22 hours a day. I write the book and then I said to myself, I'm going to go back and see if there's any more Vietnam books in the library. If there are, maybe I'll read a couple more and kind of see if I can learn anything about units and this and that and this and that, whatever. I am not joking, Bill. This is going to blow your mind. I go in the library at the prison I'm in, Lapeer, Michigan, Thumb Correctional Facility, and I find a book that's it's a Vietnam War encyclopedia. It's a 1,100-page Vietnam War encyclopedia Wow! that has words, acronyms, weapons, aircrafts, units, when, where, why, guns. Everything there is to know about the Vietnam War, like where every unit was, what the name of the operation was, the name of the base, the name of the fire base, the name of the support troops, the artillery support for this unit, everything was in this book. And I get it out of the library. I could not believe it. And I had it for like, actually, I stole it. I stole it. I, I kept it. I never brought it back. Somehow I got away stealing it. And I had it for 
like 10 years, man. And like 10, then they, I got to another prison 10 years later and they opened it up and they could see it was a prison. It was in the wrong library. And then they took it from me. Anyways. So I'll go back to my original manuscript now. And what I did is I scanned my way through this encyclopedia and I took like, dude, 90 pages of notes, bro. 90. It's crazy. 90 pages of notes. And then when I went back to rewrite the book, the original draft, I rewrote it so much better, dude. It was freaking so much better. Like it just that encyclopedia made it just unbelievable. Oh, right. That's like having the internet now. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's just like having the internet. And so I rewrote it. It was awesome. And so I, that's kind of how I did all my research for all the other books after that. Like uh, um, Eagle's Talon, the book kind of took place in other places in the world, Turkey and Iraq and Malta and Italy and da da I needed to know landmarks, places, things, da 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 So I go and get an encyclopedia and I'd read up and I'd take notes. And that was how I did my research for <laughs> in prison. Yeah, it's kind of interesting how you could almost do a whole show on how technological advances should enhance the quality of the books we are right. writing today yeah, not sure they sure. are but they no. could when they should yeah which is like ai it should increase but but the problem is humans are lazy ai could be a resource to help you polish and make your writing a little better but what people want to do is use ai and do all the writing and then it's going to suck it's not, yeah, and then ai good. gives you the wrong information and whatever but yeah it's never going to be as good so all right. Well, kudos to those people who actually spend a lot of time and effort, energy on their research. I fully understand what it feels like and is like, even though different time and place. So God bless them. Oh, for now, you know what that means. Got to take a quick break. When we get back, we'll have my first guest on of the night. So stay tuned to our thing. We'll be right back. God bless. Hey, have you checked out our thing apparel? It's the original gangster clothing brand that lets you represent where you live. Featuring t-shirts, hoodies, vintage tracksuits, and more. Our Thing Apparel allows you to customize your clothing for your city or state. And now, we're proud to launch our Atlanta line of urban casual wear. Check out OurThingApparel.com and use the promo code 1010 when checking out to get 10% off your total order. Make our thing your thing. What's up, Atlanta? It's Bill Crooks from Art Thing Radio Show. Gunner and I love showcasing creative talent regardless of the medium. That's why we're really excited about Atlanta Stitchworks Custom Upholstery. It's Georgia's premier custom shop for all your interior needs. Serving you with 16 years of experience and quality, they truly are second to none. My good friend Fernando Moreno and team will help you bring your dreams and ideas to reality. They specialize in handmade interiors for hot rods, lowriders, cars, trucks, baggers, choppers, and of course, marines. They'll even handle your audio and window tinting. Any material, any design, anything you want. Tailor made for you at Atlanta Stitchworks. For free estimates, please call 404-503-3949. 404-503-3949. That's 404-503-3949. Or if you're shy, just email atlantastitchworks at gmail.com. They'll take great care of you. Just tell them Bill and Gunner sent you. On February 4th, The Minds of Madness is set to release an investigative four-part series centered on a cold case from nearly four decades ago. At first, it was just, my mom's gone. And then it became, you know, your mom was taken by a Batman. They found video of him killing women. If you'd ever watched any uh, episodes of Breaking Bad, that's exactly what you would see. He buried these 11 women and kept going out there. He made a road going out there. 
you got this dude saying, hey, I'm gonna show your family these pictures and like he's secretly taping her. The cops don't care. We're nothing to them. They dumped her like a piece of garbage, you know? I don't see anything that screams there's two people doing this. I never thought anything was gonna come of this case, ever. Listen to the Minds of Madness series, Who Killed Jennifer, starting February 4th, wherever you get your podcasts. Matthew was a tax collector in Roman-occupied Galilee. Despite his comfortable life, he was scorned and shunned by his fellow Judeans. To them, Matthew was a traitor who lined Rome's coffers and his own at the expense of the people. Simon was a zealot, loyal to God, the Judean people, and their traditions. Not content to see God's people suffering, Simon was ready and willing to take up arms to free his homeland from Rome's oppression and pagan influence. Their paths had crossed before. Now a Nazarene teacher has arrived in Capernaum with new ideas and a new purpose that challenges both their worldviews in unexpected ways. Coin and Dagger, a biblical novel by Jack Filer, is available on Amazon. If you love The Chosen, you'll also love this special novel that gives us a colorful look at these two disciples of Christ, Matthew the Tax Collector and Simon the Zealot. Look for Coin and Dagger, a biblical novel by Jack Filer, available in both paperback and Kindle ebook. What's up? Welcome, my first guest, Deborah Sawyer, to my show tonight. I'm laughing because my cat is next to me. You can't see it. We're on the radio. My cat keeps headbutting me. Anyway, she's wrote a really interesting book. I'm looking forward to talking to her about it because this year I'm going to be releasing a book. It's a dystopian political thriller. And her book is kind of about the demise of democracy. Right, Deborah? That is one of the themes. It involves the COVID pandemic. Yeah. And how that might have had motivations that haven't yet come to light. And I oh. write about what the Chinese Communist Party might have really been doing behind the scenes. Mm-mm-mm. There's so much good stuff here, man. There's so much good stuff. I'm, I'm so it's nice to have you on here. Going back to the virus, the pandemic, to me, it seemed very scripted. Do you agree? Like it was it was planned. It was intentional. I think there were elements of it that didn't make sense if it was a natural virus. Um, Certainly, uh, when you get to the point, there are all these variants showing up. Now, over time, viruses mutate and variants appear, but it doesn't usually happen so rapidly. So there are so many of them in such a short time frame. And also... Usually viruses mutate to become less harmful to their host, because if they don't, they kill the host. And so for survival, they need to get to a point of symbiosis. So here we have all these variants coming along that are actually worse, more harmful, more deadly than the original COVID-19. So to me, that, that suggests it was like a designer virus. It was not just an accident. These things happened. And in my book, at the start, I talk about a couple of what you might call rogue elements of the Chinese Communist Party, sort of who are familiar with work that's being done at the Wuhan Virus Institute, recognizing an opportunity to take one of the viruses that they're doing what's known gain of function research on, where they actually tinker to make the virus more harmful. That's sort of the impetus for the story, how that virus that became COVID-19 was not just a natural accident, and it was possibly not zoonotic, as we've been led to believe. All of that makes perfect sense. But do you remember when this, the virus first was out and the Chinese released a bunch of videos? Somehow there were videos from China 
but you know they don't have internet there so how it got out leaked out do you remember seeing those videos of like people like stumbling out of their door and collapsing in the street and puking up blood and stuff do you remember that that i don't remember so much because my recollection is the chinese were doing everything they could to sort of suppress information i mean the police went after the doctors who blew the whistle and reported this this ultra harmful flu that was starting to hurt people and um you know journalists who tried to report on it were somehow disappeared and so you know it was just sort of to me um it was a lot of work being done to hide it and so maybe those videos were staged who knows yeah that's what i'm saying yeah yeah they, they seemed they were totally fake. Clearly, they were fake. But yeah. I'm just saying, but they were scare tactics that the media used was Big Pharma in cahoots. I mean, if you really think about it, Big Pharma stood to gain the most. And Big Pharma has so much money that they can bribe all of the senators and everyone. And when they pass a bill that mandates all federal workers must get vaccinated, that's a bill that makes Big Pharma billions and billions and billions of dollars. So, if they approach them and say, we give you, you know, a $20 million kickback to sign this bill to make sure whatever, whatever. And, and maybe somebody holds their ground and says, no. And then when they say, we'll give you a billion and they break down what a billion dollars can do for your family. This is not just for you and your family. This is for you and your extended family for the next five generations. Yeah. And, that, and the person goes, huh, so all I got to do is sign this bill? <laughs> and they're like, yep, that's it. So they say, yeah, and they sign a bill. Most of these politicians are all bought. And then Big Pharma, who's already got the components of the drug stashed away. Now, I think China was involved because they were the first ones to sequence the genome. Right. Uh, if it Wuhan did that, they, they were the ones who first cracked that to sort of lay the groundwork for moving forward right. with, uh, with solutions. But yeah, it moves very quickly from being pure science into applied science. And, and that's where, of course, people can make money. Yeah, it's, they turned it into a business. 400 human souls became billionaires off of Corona. So if they planned this out and executed it, 12, 13, 15 people got in a the room. They're in Wuhan. They're in whoever. And there's big pharma, you know, senators, Fauci, whatever. And say, listen, if we do this right, we can take a relatively benign virus. It may kill some people, but that's going to be collateral damage, if you will. Um, most people will recover from it. We can hype it up and scare the whole world using the media, use images, people falling dead in the street, you know, slabs in Italy, da, 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 make everybody terrified of this, shut down the whole world, make everybody go home from work, and then come up uh, a miracle vaccine nine months later or whatever, but they already had it probably, hundreds of millions, if not billions of dollars to make it. We're going to make profit from that. And then we sell it back to the government at a massive profit. Then we make them pass laws that mandate that federal workers and school workers and police, everybody who they can force to get it has to get it and we can make trillions of dollars. That's my opinion. Do you think I'm wrong? What is your theory? Well, in, in democracide, I, I talk more about how the Chinese have a goal of uh, remaking the world along Chinese principles. So their motives probably aren't profit motives. They want to subdue and reform, so to speak, the world's democracies because they don't like our systems. They yeah. don't like our system of government. I wouldn't like to say it's purer thought than a profit-making thought, but the idea is in democracide that they realize that if they release this virus, they can cripple the democracies yeah. and set the stage 
for this transformation of the world along Chinese characteristics. I, I love that. So how do they do it in your book? Like, what is their approach exactly? Well, in, in my book, they've done this work, what they call gain of function research at the lab in Wuhan. And then someone finds a way to use the wet market, as it's known, mm -hmm. to start the spread of the virus. So it looks like it's zoonotic or natural. But in actual fact, the idea is that somebody actually did yeah. take the virus and go and start this deliberately. And also, the two epicenters in the early days of Iran and Italy, there were a lot of people traveling from China to those two places. And the idea is then those Chinese citizens, perhaps unwittingly, were used to go and seed the virus overseas. And so the idea is, is they've tried to make it look natural. But if you read what the plotters are doing early in the book, this is no accident. This is something they worked on deliberately. And then the story of democracide goes on from there and the impacts on individual people. It takes place at the same time as the democracy protests in Hong Kong, 2019, 20 and all the rest of it. And how that sort of it served their purpose to suffocate and suppress democracy in Hong Kong because they were able to bring in all these controls because of COVID. So that sort of aided and abetted the plan of the Chinese Communist Party to suppress, you know, civic life and democratic activity in Hong Kong. Such an evil world, Deborah. It's just. <laughs> In the world that they, these people are doing this and willing to use us all like pawns, what is their, their end game? Obviously, America is the number one enemy, right? Well, the idea is that slowly but surely they would take over more and more of the world. But they're not going to do it with sort of armies. I mean, yeah. in, in North America, I don't know about in the U.S. as much, but in Canada, that country's very compromised, that they've infiltrated our government, yep. our NGOs, universities. They own so much of our real estate. So it's like a multi-pronged attack mm -hmm. that they've got the infrastructure there with what they own and what they've infiltrated. Then along comes this sort of agent, this bacteria or this virus or whatever that they're working on to sort of paralyze us, knock us out, and then they can take over because, I mean, they know what's going on. We're just sort of sitting ducks unless we become more vigilant because I do think that we have to become less friendly with them. They're not benign. You know, the, the, the whole point of communism is they do want to take over the world and make it all communist. So it's up to us perhaps to become more critical lessen our dependence on them economically, yeah. diversify the whole idea of bringing manufacturing yeah. back on shore, all those things. We do have options, but we have to sort of really ramp it up and get going with it. We can't sit and wait for another 10 years. Well, we won't, though, unfortunately, Deborah. Sadly, our young people are not going to go work in a factory for 15 bucks an hour. They're not. They just won't. They'd rather collect welfare and get a free life or live with their parents. So if you try to bring back the manufacturing of America, who's even going to build the factories? Well, I don't agree with you because with automation and robotics and all this technology we have. That's true. There are factories being run where there's like maybe 
10 workers running a whole factory and it's machines and it's programmed. So they go around and make things happen. It depends on the product. I don't think you can generalize because some products, yes, are very low price points when you sell them, but then that's where you have to get creative as to how they're made Yeah, so that you can do it. And it doesn't mean we have to bring everything back. It's just that we need to make sure we're not so dependent on another country. Yeah. What is it? 80 or 90% of our pharmaceuticals come from them. I mean, like, dude, all of our drugs come from China. In my book, when China stops trade with us, the economy collapses within two weeks and we kill each other fighting over what's left. That's the plan in my book. In your book, what do they do? Well, in my book, because when they unleash this virus... They had talked about having collateral damage, meaning their own people in China get affected, but they weren't quite prepared for how extensive that was. And so in my book, because it's about individuals, there's a a scientist who goes on the lam from Wuhan and there's a democracy activist in hiding. And it's their story of how they're surviving and trying to avoid being arrested. And eventually to the the protagonist who happens to be a female hacker, um, she starts hacking about what the Chinese are really doing behind the scenes and she finds evidence. Then she has to go on the lam because they're after her. But eventually it is resolved. They do manage to get out of Hong Kong. But it's very difficult to get out of Hong Kong because it's now controlled by the Chinese, the communists. And once upon a time, Hong Kong was kind of like a, you know, a place you could escape to. But it's no longer that because their reach has gone through the whole island, through the whole community. So Hong Kong is now like part of China? Yeah. It's called a special administrative region. But in the handover in in 1997, they have now been under Chinese rule. And so gradually over the last few years, the erosion of democracy is quite pronounced. They closed the democratic press. They arrested Jimmy Lai, who was publishing one of the leading democracy publications. You know, people have gone to jail, people have disappeared. It's like a full-on totalitarianist state, whereas once upon a time, Hong Kong was like an extension of a British-style democracy. Yeah. So that ties in with this whole idea of COVID being an agent to reduce and destroy democracies. And it really did. Even the civil freedoms here in America. And it was almost like a communist government. The story is more about the battle for democracy, but using COVID as a weapon to try to destroy it. Yes. Yes. The idea is that they realize if they can shut Western countries down and people lose freedom of movement and freedom of assembly, which is what happened with COVID. Those are are sort of two very important pillars of democracy. Sure. Along with the things like freedom of speech. And so they managed to essentially uh, destroy the two pillars of freedom of assembly and freedom of movement for the duration of the pandemic. I mean, now we've gone back to it, or have we? Because so much has changed. You know, we don't seem to have fully got back to where we were before all this happened. No. You know, there's been a lot of changes. People's habits got changed, you know, dining out, going to events, all sorts of things. People sort of got out of the way of doing it and they sort of stopped doing it. Working at home, right. Yeah. You know, don't go to the office. People work from home. It still has the lingering effect, perhaps. Huge effect. Huge. 
Yeah. Even the, the kids who suffered through those couple of years of lockdown, they're never going to be the same. They're not the same. They're antisocial. They're all screwed up. They're, I mean, it's it's crazy. And yeah, they absolutely took away freedom of speech during the pandemic. If you, I lost my YouTube channel because somebody reported me for giving disinformation regarding the, the pandemic. Literally, all I said, I said, it feels like a scan to me. Boom. I, I got three strikes. They wrote me back nine months later and said, I'm sorry, after further investigation, we saw that you weren't giving disinformation regarding COVID-19 advice. So here's your channel back. And they took away a million views. But I mean, if you were to go on Twitter or Instagram, Facebook, any of these places, you talked against any of this stuff, any of it, you were instantly deleted, banned, silenced, canceled. I mean, you didn't have freedom of speech when it came to COVID. About COVID itself. We could talk freely still about other things. It had Yeah, no, quite... COVID. I'm saying about yeah, COVID. Yeah. In terms of COVID, you could not speak free. You said what they wanted you to hear or what their narrative was and nothing else. If you did, you were silenced, you were canceled or deleted or banned or whatever. Well, in my book, in, in Democracy, one of the things the scientists hadn't quite got to is the virus itself, a damaging freedom of speech. And so the release of the virus was actually premature. And so that's another theme in the book when they go looking for who maybe pulled the trigger too soon and released it too soon because they knew it would do away with freedom of movement and they knew it would do away with freedom of assembly. But the idea was the integral part of the virus was when it had been worked on more would take away freedom of speech, but it came out prematurely. So we were lucky. And that's some, one of the themes in the book, that, that we were lucky they hadn't done more work. How would it take away freedom of speech? Well, it would like, have been it had a neurological element. Because remember, COVID was, everybody thought it was respiratory, but it wasn't. It was a blood disease. So the idea is that the scientists were looking at a way to add something to it. So as well as the blood disease, it would have an, a neurological component. So people would lose the ability to speak. But, oh, my God, bro. But, but they didn't. That somebody got trigger happy and released it too soon. So that wasn't part of it. Could you imagine? Yeah. Crazy. Yeah. Like you couldn't. You just you can't talk. Yeah, that's right. And then maybe it has a permanent damage or something, though. Like, Could yeah. easily. Yeah. Well, you know, this is just my opinion. Like, I would never take one of those vaccines. Anytime they rush an experimental drug through in nine months and say, hey, everybody's got to take it, mandatory. That's scary. Like, I had a real good friend who took the vaccine. He was a nurse, and they made him take it because he worked as a nurse. He took it, and he died four days later. Wow. Heart yeah. attack in his bed. I know of a couple other people. One thing that the government does so well is cover up these type of things. You know, well, somebody told me, I think it was like an 8,000% jump, 8,000. Think about that. 8,000% jump on unexplainable heart attack death under age 50 yeah. since COVID. Since COVID. That is one of its effects. And that's why they began to realize it's actually a blood disease or it affects the you know cardiovascular system, not just your lungs and respiratory system. So, and it did affect young people. Young people were ending up having heart attacks or strokes because of it. So it does tell you that whatever it was and whatever- Well, do you think it was the vaccine or you think it was the virus that had people having heart attacks underneath? That I don't know because it's possible somebody could have the disease and be asymptomatic yeah. and you give them the vaccine that could have a negative effect yeah i yeah. i i i'm not crazy about vaccines but to me you never give a vaccine to someone who's already immunocompromised 
So somebody's ill, they have something already, you don't give it. But if somebody had COVID and was asymptomatic and they didn't know that, because there wasn't any testing before they gave you the vaccine, it could be the combination of the vaccine and the pre-existing condition. I don't know. In democracy, I don't write as much about those elements, although I do discuss some of the theories around the yeah. fact it was blood-borne and it was a blood disease, not respiratory. Your your story is more kind of like you said, it's personalized to these this handful of characters who are fighting for democracy uh, against the oppression or the, call it the domino effect of communism. So that's the main premise of this whole whole thing, right? It, yeah, the, the, the characters is sort of, one of them is a democracy activist in Hong mm-hmm. Kong, but the other protagonist just happens to be house-sitting in Hong Kong, and she sort of gets drawn into this. And uh, that's when she starts using her hacking skills to see if she can find what went on behind the scenes. But then, because she had met a scientist from Wuhan many years before, they are convinced she's an agent, and he gave her the secrets. And so now they're trying to find her to kill her. Well, it all sounds very tantalizing. I hope everybody checks it out. The big question is, is it a conspiracy theory or is it the truth? Yeah. So tell us before we go where they can find the book. If you have a website, uh, let them know where that website is. Tell them, uh, tell them how they can find you. Okay. Well, Democracide is available on Amazon in both uh, paperback and ebook formats. My website is DebraCSawyer.com, and it has my three novels and their reviews on there. I'm waiting to get more reviews in before I put Democracide up on my website. And I think that just about wraps it up. Well, Deborah, thank you. It's been a pleasure. You sound like a great author. I actually would love to check out your other books. I'm going to go to your website. And by the way, her website will be listed in the show notes, and this will be on Spotify and all the podcast platforms. So you can look in the show notes, and her website is there, her book there. Make sure to check them out. Make sure to check her out. Okay, boys and girls, we got to take a quick break, but we will be right back. Writing a book can be fulfilling and rewarding. But often the biggest challenge is getting it published. Yet, self-publishing for print, ebook, and audiobook can be a daunting process. And then you have to market and sell it. White Pine Publishing and consultants can help you with all of that and more. We're not a traditional publisher. We're a consulting and services company that assists you with all aspects of self-publishing your book, including ghostwriting, coaching, editing, proofing, formatting, marketing and sales, and even web design. Visit our website at whitepinepublishing.com to learn more about our services and get in touch. With White Pine's integrity, industry knowledge, and experience, you can let us do all the hard work so that you don't have to. Check out all of our self-publishing services, pricing, and author testimonials at whitepinepublishing.com. Matt and Tangi Riley, two Yale Honor students in a CIA-run secret underground facility known as the Global Observation Defense, or the GOD. The CIA attempts to block their intelligence from the NSA, who track down Matt and Tangi to assess the contents of the complex with the intent to destroy it. Tasked with developing a mind control process, their program is extremely secretive, and an unlikely group seeks to find out more. 
The couple is abducted by extraterrestrials who plant a spy chip in Matt to track the events unfolding within the complex. Even as the spies already inside the God facility have a plan to eliminate anyone who stands in the way of delivering the mind control program to their respective countries. Matt is agnostic. Tangi is a devout Christian. Their beliefs will be challenged, their bodies will be tested, and no one knows what will happen next. In An American Abduction, the latest novel by James A. Johnson. You can find the book on Amazon or visit jjsnovels.com to learn more. An American Abduction, is it fiction or is it happening? What's up? Welcome back to Our Thing on 1010 The King. And now I'd like to welcome to the show our second guest, Daryl Douglas Moet. Daryl, welcome to the show. And we've had you on before, so thanks for being back. Tell the listeners a little about you, where you're from, and what led you down this path to write this book. I was born in Hamilton and raised in Selkirk until I was about six and a half years old. And then we moved to Aurelia. What state is that? Oh, no, that's a province in Canada, Ontario. Okay, sorry, I didn't know. That explains it. Yeah, that's why none of those places (laughs) were familiar. (laughs) Yeah, I'm a Canuck. Eh? (laughs) What basically started me on my path, well, I always wanted to write because I enjoyed reading and I admired authors who my mom introduced me to by taking me to the library when I was five. And uh, I started with old Dr. Zeus, etc. And from there, I went to Tarzan. But at 16, I experienced completely severed anterior cruciate ligament to my left knee when I was going over a hurdle and I was wearing spikes and my spike stuck in the ground with my left foot and my knee kept going. Yeah, you hyperextended it. That's right. That's right. I've done the same thing. I can testify there is no greater pain. Oh boy, did it hurt. My brother introduced me to a surgeon in Hamilton who was a sports injury specialist, and he did an operation on my knee, which unfortunately I had to raise my leg in bed before I would be allowed to do therapy and get up in the bed and walk. And unfortunately, I wasn't able to raise my knee from the bed for about two weeks And I was scared because they said I should have been able to lift it in three days, right? So by the time I lifted it, I was a mess psychologically, or I would say sophologically now, because my qualitative science of sophology is my replacement for psychology. Okay, it's a science I've developed. In addition to another three sciences I've also developed, the other three are called sophological kinesiology, or SQ, neurocomy, as well as natural commie. And commie, K-O-M-Y, is the opposite of pathy, P-A-T-H-Y. And pathy is based on the Greek root pathos, which means suffering, whereas kamos is the Greek word for enjoyment. 
Okay. Okay. So let me ask you this: a couple of questions. Are you a drinker? Do you like no, to drink? No, no, no. I have, <laughs> okay. I have about one drink every night at around, oh, well, it varies. It depends on how late I stay up. Okay, so Bill's in the kind of same boat. He likes to have a glass of wine at, in the evening to wind down. Four or five. Yeah, I'm having one right now. It's all relative. It depends what you call a drink. I mean, you may call a bottle of vodka a drink, or you might call a glass of wine a drink. But I want to get back to these sciences that you talked about. So what are they? And tell us a little about them, but try to keep it in layman's terms so the common man can kind of understand where you're going with it and where you're coming from. Sophology is basically the study of the self. I started a meditation of my own, which is the opposite of Zen meditation. Because Zen, of course, doesn't believe in a self. It believes only in the no-self. It believes the self is an illusion. However, I disagree completely with that because my knowing is that the self exists and I am that self. I am not my self because I can own the self I am. If I own the self I'm experiencing, that means it's a false role. Bill, are you keeping up with this? Yeah, I am. I'm not. But I, I figured Bill would, though. Yeah, well, he's using philosophical logic to come to his conclusion. It's not a logic. It's reasoning, okay? Because logic was developed by Aristotle. And he was a bit of an idiot. <laughs> Sorry, but... Right, so I better put, you're using philosophical reasoning. Yes, but my philosophy is not necessarily what I use in my interactions with other people. Because your philosophy is the words you use or attach to your wordless thinking and recently do you understand that i'm following you i don't but i will say this making the claim that aristotle is an idiot is pretty powerful claim i may think there's things you could disagree with or think that aren't aren't apropos or whatever but i think everybody would agree aristotle was one of the most brilliant minds in history the things that he wrote things that he said things that he created he invented on and on so where are you finding fault in his philosophy well aristotle was immortal yeah, I don't know whether you know that. A what? Immortalist. She believed we die when our bodies die. Okay. In other words, we die with our bodies. Okay. He believes that the self was really just a physical aspect of our bodies. Okay. Much like modern scientists believe the brain is what we are rather than the pure energy which inhabits the brain. And we are that pure energy, okay? We're not the physical brain. In Aristotle predates Christianity. Uh, yes, that's right. But unlike Christians, Aristotle didn't believe we were resurrected in a body either. Yeah, the Greeks believed differently. Christ was the one who introduced the afterlife. That our bodies are just a, a shell you know, preparing us for the afterlife and, you know, all of eternity. The Greeks also believed in all these different Greek gods and stuff that were all pagan and false. And all, right. But to them, they That's were real. Right. Exactly. Yeah, but the Greeks had that because they would die and go to Hades and go to all these, you know, the River Styx and all that. So they had some sense of an afterlife. 
outside of their physical body. That's true. But it was all paganistic. It was all just invented by man. There was never a Messiah that lived and basically right. proved God is real and, and what God wants and all as Christ has done. Yeah. But getting back to your book, mm -hmm. what is the focus on it? It's selfology. What is the ultimate goal behind it? My book is called Naturalism, The Freedom of a Self's Harmony Within Nature's Harmony, okay? And I'm currently rewriting it from scratch because since I realize that the fundamental axiom for existence is freedom, absolute freedom, and that absolute freedom is the ultimate truth, there are no freedoms. There are only rights and liberties, as well as wrongs yeah. and tyrannies. Well, you are Canadian, so in Canada, you're not really free to do much. If you disagree with Trudeau, for example, you're not free to do anything. Well, it's not that I'm disagreeing with Trudeau, because I really don't know what his stance really is. Well, so I'm saying, you're not free to do whatever you want. I'm saying in Canada, for example, if you would try to protest a vaccine mandate, then they arrest you, call you a terrorist, you freeze your bank account. That's true. You know, whatever. So, so there's freedoms. Is, it's all relative where you're at. You know, th there's more freedom mm -hmm. in some places and less than others. America likes to make the claim that we're the land of the free. Not by a long shot. No, you're not free to do nothing in America. Nothing. You don't get that tag on your car and the cops pull you over you're going to jail they're impounding your car and if you don't got 800 bucks to get it out they're going to keep your car and auction it off if you're three months late on your taxes you could have a million dollar house you think it's yours you already paid it off but your taxes are four thousand bucks every three months don't pay them taxes for a couple months see what happens you're not free there's no freedom here I mean, and you try to say anything that doesn't agree with the agenda, whatever they want you to believe. You can't go on Twitter. You can't go on Facebook. You can't go on YouTube. You can't go anywhere and say anything that goes against the, the narrative. If you do, you're banned, you're locked out, you're silenced, you're canceled. So the notion of freedom no longer exists anywhere, as far as I know. Well, actually, Gunnar, you can't get rid of freedom. My experience is that I'm absolutely free to pursue my rights and liberty as well as my wrongs and tyrannies. But if you don't do certain things, Daryl, if, if you don't toe the line, pay what they ask, then you're no longer free to do whatever you want. I'm free to become anything I want in the world, think what I want, uh, say what I want. But if I don't toe the line that they want me to, then I'm no longer free. Well, that's true. That's absolutely true. There is freedom. But the thing is, if you don't respect the rights and liberties of others, then they're going to persecute you. And it doesn't matter whether it's the government or your neighbor next door. If you abuse them, they're going to take you to the cleaners. Yeah, well, the problem is they decide what your rights and liberties are. You don't. No, no, that's not true. That's not true. You you decide. They decide how much money I pay in taxes on my house. I don't decide that. I'm not free to decide that. They decide, and if you don't pay it, they take your house. That's it. Well, that's true. That's true, but that... Well, your freedom lies in the selection of the candidate you think best represents you. Yeah, you're only as free as your lawyer. <laughs> you know or, or your accountant. Right. Don't forget <laughs> that your physical property has nothing to do with your rights and liberties. 
okay? Because your rights and liberties are not necessarily related to society as much as they are within you. You really have the responsibility to develop your independent, sovereign individuality. And that means you're accountable to only you and not anybody else. Well, again, but that's an illusion. I'm free to believe in Jesus Christ, for example. Let me give you an example. I'm free to believe in Jesus Christ, right? That's I'm perfectly free. Nobody can stop me from that, right? But if I exercise my free will and go on a social networking platform and say, this is Christianity, this is what I believe in, and this is what the Bible says about Christianity, for example, homosexuality is wrong. The second I say that, I get canceled, I'm silenced, and I'm banned. So I'm not really free. It's all kind of speculative. Yes, I'm free to think whatever I want in my mind, in my own little tiny bubble of my mind right now in the space where I am right here. But again, I don't have the space I have right here, theoretically, if I don't pay my taxes because I'm evicted and they sell my house. Right, but back to the social media point, when you posted it and said you're wrong and I think this and this, then by I think Daryl's model you have now infringed on the rights and liberties of the people who don't want to read that. Yeah, they don't have to read it. Not only that, Bill, but in relation to Gunner's statement that the Bible says homosexuality is wrong, that's not necessarily true, because the individual in the Bible who said homosexuality is wrong was Paul, not Jesus. And Paul's interpretation of what Jesus might think. Bottom line is it says like nine different times in the Bible, man shall not lie with another man, woman shall not lie with another woman. We all know it morally, intrinsically, it's biologically wrong and it's backwards and it's not right. That's what we believe as Christians. That's not true, Gunnar. That's not true because homosexuality is a matter of being influenced by the body you have, which is either mostly... If you're a homosexual, can you make two men have a child? No. Oh, no, of course not. But the thing is, is that your organism is composed of male and female genes. Yeah. Which, which are, do you know what a hermaphrodite is? Sure. Yeah, they're born with both sex organs. Yeah, it's one in a 20 million or something, but sure. Maybe a frog. That's right. Okay, but the fact is that a hermaphrodite often has a genitalia of both a male and a female. That, but that has nothing to do with a man having sex with another man. Of course it does, because some males have more female genes within them, which we can't see. Well, you're welcome to disagree. I'm telling you, as a Christian, I believe that homosexuality is wrong. It's a sin and it's evil. That's my belief. I'm free to believe it. Of course you are. And I would never say you don't have the right and liberty to believe that, okay? Of course not. And and I don't care what the next man does. If a guy wants to have sex with another dude, he's welcome to do that. I'll still be friends with him. I'm still cool with him. I'll shake his hand. I'm still friendly, whatever. And before you shake Gunner's hand, make sure you wash it. <laughs> right? There's two things I draw. A, I don't care. Just don't infringe it on me and my, my family, my kids, whatever. And B, if you're a man and pretending to be a woman... And then you walk up to me and say, I want to be called Sally because I now believe I'm a girl. I'm sorry, Mike, but you're still Mike. You're a man. Now you can pretend to be a woman. That's fine. Well, that I agree with completely. 
I agree with you completely on that because otherwise you're confusing our children. Of course. Because an operation does not change your sex. How about this, though? Right. But you've got kings, you've got queens, and now the hermaphrodite's like a wild card. That's like the wild joker that could play either card. It's so rare that it's not like even, you know. Yeah, once in a while, though, the joker pops up. Yeah, there's genetic anomalies for everything. You, you've seen Siamese twins. The fact that hermaphrodites do exist means that, that there's a range of male, female to every individual cell, to every individual self's organism, okay? And that organism might be predisposed to experience homosexuality rather than heterosexual. Well, that's true. Some people are... That doesn't mean that it, that it necessarily has to have. However, I don't believe it's evil. I believe it's really, and it comes down to it, it's Satan. And if Satan is nudging somebody's perverted thoughts into sexually perverse activity that they can't control... I'm a happily married man, but say, let's say, God forbid, I couldn't no longer control myself and I ran out and slept with women all the time. I could just say I couldn't control myself. I needed to sleep with other women, but I can control myself, so I do. And so you have some people who are sexually confused and they have perverse thoughts. They can't control them. They act on them. And this is where you get you know, homosexuality. Again, I'm not judging. A God is the judge. I don't care what they do. But under my belief, which is Christian, it's wrong. It's Satan. It's a sin. So... I'm free to believe that. And uh, hundreds of millions, if not billions of people like me, believe that too. To the one in every 20 million who's a hermaphrodite, um, well, sorry about your luck. There's all these different anomalies. But at the end of the day, it all comes down where your heart is. But I want to get back to your book. So tell us ultimately what the purpose of your book is. What are you? What is the message you're trying to get across to, to the readers? Well, the message of my book is that ultimately there is no need for leaders and followers. Okay, there's only a need to enjoy life and to stop trying to control other people because it's hard enough to control the self you are, much less trying to control other people, which is Prime Minister Trudeau's mistake. I mean, it sounds good, but it would have to be predicated on the fact that you never infringe upon the rights and happiness and freedom of others. That's right. Unless they abuse your rights and freedoms, in which case the best thing to try and do is to not get angry or abuse them in return, which is returning evil for evil, but to keep your cognizant knowing stable and try to keep enjoying even the people that abuse you by not letting them have the satisfaction of seeing that they're able to control you by making you angry. Well, I agree with that. I mean, all the time, I get bags and trolls and people. I literally get to the point now where I don't care. I think it's funny because I'm going to live my life regardless, and, and, and I'm going to be happy regardless. But I will say this. Most human beings are incapable of leadership. So you're saying that we don't kind of need leaders, but you need thought leaders, you need business leaders, you need political leaders, you know? Well, no, we don't really need them. But I understand that most people are too irresponsible and anxious as well as fearful of becoming who they really are. But if you truly believe in the Bible, then you'll recognize that we weren't supposed to have kings. 
or leaders. I mean, I guess that's all relative. Yeah, the Jews demanded one. Uh, And the fact that we asked to have leaders was granted, even though we were told not to have leaders by I am, which is really the Bible's idea of a non-individual absolute self, not God, because God was an Aryan notion that was the first translation of the Bible in, into English. Jesus is the king. By Arians in, in around the 15th century AD. And unfortunately, these Arians used the pagan word God instead of I am. The Greeks were the first translation, and this is like 580. Yeah, that was 325 uh, AD when the Council of Nicene uh, actually declared Arianism a heuristic because they didn't believe Christ was of the same substance as the Father. And uh, that, of course, is a heresy according to Roman Catholics. So your book, before we go, tell the readers why they should read your book, what they can gain from it, and uh, the purpose of it. I'm sure we could go all night. The real purpose of my book is to help people realize that we have a religion of harmony, which is our knowing of the harmony of nature, or you might say the grace of the absolute self. It's our religion of knowledge, which is the words we apply to the wordless knowing that is the prerequisite of wordless existence. I feel like he speaks in riddles. No, no, it's not a riddle, although it be to a lot of people, because they don't really experience natural reality because they're so caught up in words that they're divided. Well, you wrote a book, which is words, so you're trying to sell them on the book, which is made of words. Yes, that's right. I'm using words to point to the wordless. Well, you got to tell them that. Say, you're using words to point to the wordless, and what is the wordless? Oh, you have to read the words to find out. No, 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 no. You don't read words to find out what the wordless is. You have to realize, Dallas say that the word that points to reality is not the word we read or the word we use to um, signify words reality. That makes absolute sense. So here's what you do. Let's wrap it up right now in one sentence. Why they should buy and read your book and where they can find it. Well, actually, I don't care whether they read it or not, because I'm writing it really for me. My real reason for writing my book is to continually develop my knowledge of reality in relation to my knowing. Well, we'll have to say that for another show, Daryl. But God bless you, man. That's another one in the books, our thing. Everybody have a blessed and wonderful week. We'll see you next time. We're out.